everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we dive into all things FinTech. Uh, in today's episode, I am joined by Koki Hesiotis of Lasagna Technology, one of our regular guests on here, and we got a couple things we're going to dive into here, but first of all, Koki, how are you doing on this, this fine Tuesday that we're recording this? Honestly, Jules, I'm great. I'm having a great hair day, so we can all appreciate that. I know you can't see me, listeners, but just feel it in your soul, please. <laughs> you also can't see, but she has some candles going in the background and everything. So We got a seance. She, she's in her zone. Um, and you know what? <laughs> candles are something consumers might be able to go purchase with some of the stimulus money that they're they're getting soon with the bill that finally got passed. It was, what, $1.9 trillion, I think it ended up being... And single people making $80,000 or less per year will get somewhere around $1,400, like phasing out. Um, And married couples making $160 or less will get money um, phasing out. So that's not a small chunk of change. And I I remember last year when they did some of these stimulus rounds, it was interesting to see where consumers spent this money. Right. Um, Do we know if... Do we know if um, married couples filing separately get fourteen hundred each? And do you think that's been that's something a good that question tactically? That's a good question. So if you're married filing separately versus married filing jointly, I think they would still combine your incomes to say like, okay, like here together you made X amount. Here is what you do or do not get in stimulus, and it's based on that. But that's a good question. I should ask my accountant about that. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that because my dad was actually the one who got it first in our family. Um, oh, interesting. And my parents have been married for 50 years, so I don't think that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of think, yeah, I'm kind of wondering like how that works because um, mm-hmm. he got the full amount. He got right. 1400 I will ask in my next episode, we will we will get to the answer around that. But what do you, so last time when we saw this stimulus, people often... No, it was some of it went to paying down debt, but it also went towards brokerage accounts. It was part of the reason that Robinhood, Public, CommonSuck, others saw surges in user numbers. Sometimes people used it to literally like do some online shopping since they were just sitting at home. So companies like Stripe, PayPal, um, Square, others saw a boom in transaction volume because people were suddenly spending, even though initially, when before we knew the stimulus was going to come out, people were like, oh my God, we're going to go into a recession, PayPal's going to tank, whatever. And the exact opposite happened, just given all this. So do you think we're going to see the same trend or do you think that that would shift a little bit now? I wonder if the American customer is a little bit uh, nervous about stimulus money, um, given that the last check wasn't enough, $1,200, which is like, great, but once is not enough. The second one now being 1400 is a little bit better, but that's still only two stimulus checks in an un- unprecedented year. Um, forgive me, please. Um but that's that's only two stimulus checks. I wonder if people will be a lot less likely to part with this one. Um, and if they do part with it, they'll do it in, in brokerage accounts like they did the first time, but maybe not as recklessly. Yeah, we hope hope not recklessly using the stimulus money to trade three times levered options on GameStop yeah. stock or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but high you, risk. You do make a good point because I think the first time around, if I remember correctly, people kind of thought, okay, this is just the first one. There's going to be more. And it, it took quite a while for them to get the second one. So you're right. Maybe people are more keen to hang on to that money, putting in a checking and savings account and not spend it or not trade stocks with it and be a little bit 
bit more more safe. I'm sure I would have loved to use my stimulus money, for instance. Um, I would have loved to use it uh, to get into Stripe's new round, but it doesn't seem like that was available to me. Uh, oh, man, can you, can you tell us too. about that? I would have loved to have that happen. So Stripe is another story I want to talk about today. And this is, it's a little anticlimactic because it's been rumored for a really long time, but they finally closed, I think it's like the Series H or something at this point. They're going to be like last year's hurricane season and run out of letters and have to go into the Greek alphabet for funding rounds because they're going to stay (laughs) private for so long. Um, But it's $95 billion, I believe, is the new valuation, a substantial jump from the 30-something billion they were valued at in their previous round, which is about a year ago. And I think that goes to show that transaction volume, online spending, it's not just stimulus because obviously if people are at home and they can't go into a store and shop, they're going to shop online. But it shows you that the spending continued um, despite there being a ton of unemployment and a possible recession that we were worried was going to happen. Um, so I think that's super important. And you know what? $95 billion, PayPal's valued at like $500 billion or something at this point. Adyen's valued less, which is interesting. They're um, a straight competitor in uh, Europe. That also does some stuff in other countries too, but Europe, Amsterdam is our headquarters. Um, Square is valued at like two or three hundred billion at this point. So it's funny when they announce ninety-five billion, everyone's like, uh, I raise my hand, I'll buy some shares of ninety-five billion if anyone literally. wants to sell for a quick jump. <laughs> I was literally like, I have eleven dollars. Who wants it? Who at Stripe wants my eleven dollars? Um Yeah, no, I think that one's kind of interesting. And I I kind of want to talk about what it means to be series H. Like, what do you think the purpose is to staying private? Do you think this is a long game that the Colson brothers are playing? Do you think this is like, do you think this is like a, a slow build to a SPAC? Like, what do you think is going to happen here? Because I can't see them staying public or staying private that much longer. Right. I, I actually could see them staying private for a little bit longer. My interesting thing, I wrote about this for FinTech today, I believe it was two Sundays ago, um, where part of the theory around SPACs is that companies are staying private for way too long. Stripe should have gone public when it was like five or $10 billion via a SPAC. Because uh, they were ready at that point. Like They were good enough on investor relations. They had enough of a a growth plan that investors would have been happy with it. Uh, But because SPACs weren't as big of a thing back then, they've stayed private. And it's made it so retail investors like you and I sit here complaining that we can't buy Stripe at 95 billion, even though we'd love to. And only VCs, accredited investors, and other, like this elite group of people are able to get in and make so much money on it. I think that if that proved to be a, a... good use case for SPACs. There's still a few issues around it, making sure that companies are good enough at investor relations and things like that. But I think if that did prove to be a good use case, that would be a great way to get companies to go public faster. It wouldn't be good for growth stage VCs, but it's good for the rest of the pie. What's the kind of benefit for for those listeners who aren't as clear and for myself, because I could be a little better on this, but what's the kind of benefit of going public? Why should they have gone public when they were at like five to 10 billion evaluation? I'm just saying they should have because it makes it so someone like you and I can get in there and they were in fact ready. Would Stripe have benefited from it? 
I don't think it really mattered. They had people throwing them money regardless. So I don't think, I mean, that's the reason they've stayed private. They have no reason to go public. They don't need money from raising up a public offering. Um, and they don't really need people to have to trade them. Like it's a little bit of a hassle to go public with reporting and everything. Um, there's more scrutiny around it versus just doing these uh, financial reports for your board and other investors. But um, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's just, there's a lot of issues with staying private for so long. You know, like I think people, we have what, we've gone from like 5,000 public companies to 1,000 over the past few years, according to Chamath Papatia, the guy that is sort of the SPAC king at this point. And we need more companies to go public. So there's more companies for people to trade, more ways for people to invest, especially given the rise in retail trading that we've seen lately. Well, Stripe, if you can hear me um, on our last topic, I will use my stimulus check if I get one. I'm not actually sure if I will. I will use my stimulus check to invest in you, um, and then I'll triple it, um, and then I'll quadruple it. If you wanted to go public and do me this nice favor, um, I am a sad girl. I would love that. Thank you very much. The other company I obviously would like to get into is Plaid. So if anyone also has shares of Plaid, Zach Perret, if you want to sell anything, Koki and I are here and we are ready we to are give available. you money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will the give one you time I met money. Zach, he gave me the best t-shirt I've gotten in tech. Uh, it is the softest t-shirt in tech. I will stand by that. Um, so next time I see him, maybe he'll give me shares. That would be cool too. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, actually, Plaid would also be a good way for moving off of the brokerage accounts and whatnot. If someone's getting stimulus money, figuring out what debt to pay off, where they should put that money, at getting a full financial picture, Plaid is going to be a great system to be able to get that, right? Any sort of um, broader look you want at your finances through any of these platforms where you hook up your other accounts, Plaid's nine times out of 10, the one powering that. So I think they'll see a lot of interesting data on their part of where consumers actually are putting their money. Remember when they announced, what was that, last year or the year before, that they were going to partner with Microsoft to launch a PFM tool because most people do any kind of personal finance and budgeting in Excel? Um, do we know where that is? What is that? We don't. We should ask our dear friend Zach when we're asking him to invest in his company. <laughs> yeah, Um that's a really good point. Let <laughs> me just send him a quick email. <laughs> we'll use that as the lead in. Be like, yeah, we just wanted to know where this just was update. going. Yeah, and, and then, it. yeah, well, do you actually <laughs> want to take our $2,800 in stimulus money and can we buy some shares of Plaid? That'd be great. <laughs> um, no, we have, a, we have a number of people from Plaid in our FTT Slack group, so I think we should post in there. For, for those that are not familiar, about a year ago, Plaid and Microsoft announced that they'd be working together to make it easier for user, users to get a full financial picture right in Microsoft Excel by using Plaid to import a bunch of the data from bank accounts, brokerage accounts, credit reports, whatnot, um, to, to do that. And I do assume that that would take a while, especially given Plaid and Visa's deal, the planned merger between the two companies falling apart. I think they were spending a lot of time on that. And now that they're not, I would expect them to be able to dedicate more time to this project as well. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see what they come up with, especially given that they do have every piece of data. Um, and as companies go, they are probably much better suited to actually structuring that data and making it work for them. Mm -hmm, I agree. I think it's you've talked a lot about financial literacy and ways that, you know, stimulus checks, 
these payday lenders, like it's not enough. There's so much more we need to do to, um, you know, find financial equality across the country. Um, and a lot of the time, you- those those solutions are like I kind of always find them a little like half baked um, because it, it doesn't account for the social issues and social inequality and the systemic racism and injustices that are very prevalent in our society. Um, but one of the things that I think is actually hard tech that we can do to solve some of these issues or at least take the next step is leveraging data. Um, and that is a consistent problem for banks, community banks, neobanks, literally anything that does anything, financial services, structuring that data is really, really difficult. Um, and the technology just isn't quite there for a lot of people yet. Right. When do you think it might be? Because this is something we've obviously been working towards for a while, but it's also something that's really hard, this term of self-driving money. For example, if I take a ride in an Uber or buy something on Uber Eats to get delivered, it can come up like 50 different ways on my credit or debit card, whatever way I use to pay it. It's not just like Uber Eats, like this is it, or like Uber ride, like there's a million different things that can happen. And that makes it really complicated for whoever is trying to go in there and create this system where it's all going together and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, especially if you're taking an Uber and you also use Uber Eats as your primary delivery source, um, it won't know how to split that. It'll put all the food in transportation It'll put, or it'll put the transportation in the food um, when it breaks down your budget. Um, in terms of when that data is going to be there, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, but a lot of that, I'm afraid to say, actually has to do with how quickly Plaid can get that data there. Um, given that Plaid is the connector between everything, uh, I kind of feel like they somehow have this this impetus to deal with it um, in a way that's probably going to be quite difficult. I know a lot of the companies, one of the companies I'm thinking of, I won't name names, but one of the companies I'm thinking of was working on a data solution and they basically fell apart. Um, Like they just couldn't get there and no disrespect. That's just what it is. Um, It's hard. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I I can barely make sense of an Excel street. So it's not (laughs) me. This is not on me. Well, it's also hard because I remember when Plaid started out, the banks didn't like Plaid. Plaid didn't really like the banks. And in order to make this truly work, you've got to have some sort of relationship with each other because the alternative to connecting um, each to each other is screen scraping, which the banks and regulators, importantly, also don't like. And I believe it's even outlawed in the UK. So this is something that you've got to form relationships with all these guys, which is not just the big guys like JP Morgan and Venmo and Bank of America. It's like all these regional banks and smaller providers that you have to have in there too. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. I thought it was it was very cute in early fintech, I think, like 2000s, like early 2010s. Uh, it was very cute uh, to be like adversarial with the banks. But I think now we're, and I've written about this ad nauseum and I've spoken about it ad nauseum. So if you've heard it before, I apologize. We're in fintech 2.0, in my opinion. So Fintech 2.0 to me is all partnerships-based businesses. And that means that you have to be a good partner. Um, So being adversarial is like all fun and games and it like gives like pundits something to talk about, but it's stupid and it's a waste of everyone's time. So partnerships are are the game. And I think uh, when it came to that kind of adversarial relationship between, I think the most famous one was Plaid and JP Morgan. um, I think they got over it and I think it's fine now. I think so. We never know. Which is great because I would have left Chase if they wouldn't have 
If, if Chase didn't work with Platt, I would have left. And that's part of the thing. I think Capital One was another big uh, to-do with Plaid where their users were going crazy on Twitter because they're like, wait, my Capital One account won't connect all these things now and I need to see it. I'm going to leave Capital One if you don't reinstate this relationship. Uh, it's super interesting to see that user power in there. Absolutely. Totally. It's put the banks in a, a very interesting position because they're throughout this whole process, they've been their own worst enemy because essentially the banks should have just created Plaid on their own before Plaid even existed. Uh, but now, obviously, there's no way they could catch up at this point. Plaid's by far and away the leader in this space. Sorry, Yodley and other companies that are out there, but this is just yeah. the way to go. Um. I want to go back to our first point just to, to end this podcast. And what did you spend your last stimulus on? I just put it in my savings account at HM God, Bradley, so where boring. I get 3%. <laughs> you're so boring. Uh, I think, what did Jordan spend? I think he used it to pay rent and stuff because he was unemployed for a little bit. So he wanted to make sure that he used the money wisely. I, I have opened up a brokerage account over the past year, but I don't think that was necessarily stimulus tied just because um, at Bloomberg, when I was a reporter there, you weren't allowed to trade anything other than index funds, basically, just because conflict of interest, like I covered PayPal and that would be a conflict of interest if I owned PayPal stock, for instance. Um, turning the question back to you, though, what did you use your stimulus money on? So, oh, so I got my stimulus money... Um, in October. So I was like the last check basically. Um, and I spent it on rent, I think. Oh God. I We're myself. both terrible. Did Lorenzo at least spend his money on uh, your fancy ring? He better have. <laughs> you know, Probably added like a tenth also... of a carrot with that money there, you know? <laughs> He got his like in April, like a week after they started going. And I was like, how the hell are you? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> who, like, uh, well, who is your accountant and how do I start seeing him? Um, but yeah, uh, I think I might be eligible for the next one. I actually, I haven't calculated, but if they do it off 2019, I will be. If they do it off 2020, it's anyone's guess really, because I've obviously had a chaotic year. Um, I'm instead of calculating it, I'm just going to find out later. It'll be fun. Ian um, pays me too much and I'm not, I'm barely going to miss it this year, which sucks, but you know, yeah, it's all right. I don't need it, but I would love it. Ian, if you're listening <laughs> to this, you don't really pay me too much. You should actually pay me more. Thank you. Yeah. Also, Ian, <laughs> if you could pay me more, um, I would love that also. And also Julie <laughs> needs more money and also, um, we, and we we're just so nice to you, and we need a 401k. I, every week is just us asking Ian for more stuff. This is actually going to be a good test. Let's not tell Ian that we said any of this and see how long it takes him to mention this to us, and then we'll be able to tell when he listens to the podcast. I'm willing to offer my stimulus money in a bet here. I'm willing to bet <laughs> that Ian will not listen to a podcast I'm on because he knows I will shit on him. <laughs> so, right, so I'm willing Ian to put my money on the table. This. Koki's putting money on the table, so you gotta let us know when you listen to us. Okay. <laughs> on that note, uh, <laughs> I, I might have Ian back with me this week. We might have a guest. I'm waiting for the guest to confirm, so you'll s surprise on Monday if it's Ian or a special guest with me. But nonetheless, we've got Koki here. Thursday, this one will air. Obviously, we're, we're taping it on Tuesday, so two days from now. If there's something crazy that happens in the world between now and then, maybe we'll come back and redo the episode, and poor Paul will have to edit it on the spot. 
<laughs> poor Paul already has his work cut out for him today. <laughs> poor Paul. Poor Paul. In, in any case, thank you so much for joining me once again, Koki, and I will see you next week. Thanks, Julie. Bye, guys. See you next week. <laughs>